0: Ireland's greatest moment.
1: On Good
0: afternoon and welcome to Ireland's greatest moment. Simon Tierney with you for the next hour here on News Talk as we count down the most significant events from the past hundred years of Irish life. What a conundrum. How on earth can you distill a century of stuff into an hour-long programme? Well, challenge accepted because over the past two weeks here on News Talk, we've been asking our listeners to vote in our online poll of the most influential moments from 1922. To 2022. And this, of course, is to mark the centenary of the state. So before we get to the top five, let's have a quick gander now at numbers 20 to 6, the short list, so to speak. Um, so at number 20, we've got Very controversial. Fina Gael and Fianna Fáil entering government together in 2020 in coalition. 19, Seamus Heaney winning the Nobel Prize in 95. 18, U2 released The Joshua Tree in 87, perhaps their most successful album, at least commercially. 17, Sinead O'Connor on Saturday Night Live when she ripped up that famous photograph. 16, The Saipan Saga in 2002. Fifteen, Katie Taylor winning gold at London 2012. Fourteen, you're going to love this, Garth Brooks playing five nights in Croke Park in 2022. That has to be the most recent thing on the list. Thirteen, Ireland elects its first female president in 90. Twelve, introduction of the smoking ban in 04. Eleven, contraceptive train to Belfast in 1971. That was Nell McCafferty et al. Uh, Number ten, Munster win over the All Blacks in 1978. Nine, Riverdance at the Eurovision in 94 as we heard in that beautiful intro theme music number 8 was repeal of the 8th amendment in 2018 number 7, rural electrification of Ireland begins that was actually as far back as 1946 and number 6, Ireland joins the EEC as the EU was then known and oh, I was about to go to number five then. That would be a disaster because you're going to have to wait a little bit longer to find out five to one. Now, we've assembled a panel of guests to separate the wheat from the chafe and decide whether you were all wonderfully correct in your votes or entirely and drastically misguided so let the debate begin now on the panel is one half of surely one of Ireland's most successful podcasts it's Terence Power from Talking Bollocks you're very welcome Terence a uh, former Lord Mayor and uh, Green Party councillor is Hazel Chew and Irish independent columnist Ian O'Doherty guys you're all very welcome now let me go to you first Ian in terms of that shortlist the, you the just basically that...
2: read out the weirdest Top of the Pops countdown <laughs> <laughs> ever. You know, sorry, go on, go on. If
0: you had to choose one of those in that short list of 15 as your greatest moment, what would you have chosen? Saipan,
2: without a shadow of a doubt. Why? Saipan. Saipan was when... Now, there's people that I still don't speak to. Really? That I fell out with 20 years ago. Right? Um, and it's the old cliche that, oh, this was like our equivalent of our civil war kind of thing, you know. But I remember lads thumping the head off each other at the time. Um, and looking back, with the with the luxury of distance, it all seems very ridiculous. But actually, it wasn't. It was actually more profound than we realised at the time. Because this was the emergence of a new Ireland. And this was the conflict between the, ah, sure, it be grand. We'll turn up we will have a few drinks. Everybody will like us. we will be popular with the bigger neighbours. And that was the, the old Ireland. Whereas Roy Keane unwittingly personified a new Ireland that was, it's not just enough to turn up. Why can't we win the shagging thing? Mm. We're as good as everybody else. We can be better than everybody else.
0: So when you're talking about how how divisive it was among mates in the pub, you're talking about Camp Mick McCarthy versus Camp Yeah, and I
2: I do feel that McCarthy was actually the victim, the real victim in all of this, because Mick McCarthy is a fundamentally decent man. He's a good manager. He's a decent man. Um, And I never really bought into the levels of vitriol that were being directed in his way, although I have to say I was guilty of writing some of it. Um, but there were two. Uh, this sounds really stupid, right? But there were two occasions when, in the Herald, where Jerry, the editor, said, "You're getting in early tomorrow morning." It was nine eleven on Saipan, right? We were pulling double shifts. Um, we couldn't print enough papers mm-hmm. at the time, right? And to anybody else, and I remember talking to English journalists, friends of mine, and they were going bloody Irish, crazy. Um, yeah, we were crazy causing because
0: problems. Because the thing, the thing <laughs> um, Hazel, let, let <laughs> this me talk manner. to you. I'll come back to you in a second, Ian. But yeah. Hazel, are, are you uh, choosing Saipan as well, or are you going to yeah, choose yeah. something slightly? Uh, I'll
3: be choosing. I'll be leaving Saipan to Ian. But I have to say, the recent judgment uh, in relation to the documents about John Delaney claiming privilege. So uh, should and that uh, documents should be handed over to the Director of Corporate Enforcement is potentially significant when we look at the FAI and we look at all that's been written about them. So there could well be a second volume of champagne football coming along. But for me, it's very simple, repealed eight. So I know it's eight on the list, which is kind of odd. But um, for me, it's it's the first. I I look at the march uh, that we had over the weekend. I look at the anniversary of Savita. And I look at, over the years, um, how women have been treated in Ireland. And what we, what the place that women held in Ireland within its constitution, and um, our right to public health, and I, I was. A teenager when uh, the X case happened and I remember at the time going oh god this is awful and not really knowing because I was a young teenager and but knowing it was significant to to women in Ireland and everyone in Ireland they didn't legislate for that even though there was supposed to be legislation for it until 2013 and yeah. again it showed true that the different cases how backwards we were when it t- came to uh, uh, women's health legislation. And the was leg- kicked down the road exactly. by it so many governments. On, yeah.
0: but, I mean, the, the, this just shows how arbitrary the list is. I mean, we go from talking about the Saipan saga to talking about repeal the eighth. I mean, Ian, how can, how can um, Saipan trump uh, repeal the eighth in terms of significance?
2: Do you honestly expect me to give an answer to that? I mean, <laughs> any answer I give is going to get me killed. Thank you, Simon, very much. You know, um, let's talk about Garth Brooks.
0: <laughs> well, before we no, uh, come back to Ian, right? Let me go to ter- bring Terence in here because. I think you're going to choose neither of those you're no. going to go in an entirely
1: different direction here. yeah but I think Si so Pan calling that the greatest moment it's one of the most significant right, mm. but the greatest moment is a bit well it's like World War One. it wasn't really a great war but people call it the great war yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah, I sweet. get you but I, I would go with I can't believe as well God Brooks is ahead of Katie yeah. Taylor in this list that is shocking by the way but I would go with Katie Taylor and I double barrel that as well I can't believe Kelly Hardington isn't on the list as well so I would go from Katie 2012 Winning gold at the London Olympics, the first time women's boxing is in the Olympics, she goes ahead, kicks the door down, and wins that straight away. And then, what she's achieved as well since that is like 22 0 in professional boxing, talks about her selling out Crow Park next year. And then, so she kicks the door down in 2012, wins the gold, shows that it's possible we can deal this, and especially for women's boxing. Mm-hmm. And then Kelly Hardington comes along; she kicks the door down. Then she wins gold, but it's not even—it's not even. And isn't it
2: interesting that Roy Kane was the one who supported Kelly? It is indeed. Kelly, yeah. when she was—you know—I mean, the two of them actually represent the similar thing of we can be better than everybody else yeah definitely
1: but it's not it's not even solely about the moments and winning the gold it's about what happens after that the snowball effect that comes from that you know what I mean these two women are at the forefront for the government funding sports in this country these two are forcing the government to fund sports because if these can go and win gold at the Olympics in completely underfunded boxing clubs underfunded everywhere in this country if these can win gold at that the government need to fund it so then how many more Kellys and how many more Katie's can we have and even with Kellys She's inspired on a whole yeah. nation of working-class communities, you know. People who are living in borderline poverty, for them to look at Kelly and see who is the role model now and show that you can't take the right path in life and you can't do the right things even but in, with that, circumstances. When you
0: say that Katie or Kelly should be higher on the list, I mean, this is this is a list that I suppose is, is trying to be representative of, of the whole country. And I mean, boxing is becoming really big in Ireland, but it's still relatively a comparatively
1: a small sport yeah. <laughs> yeah but for me it's just the fact that it's two women at the forefront of this and these are changing the game for Irish for boxing and for funding and sports all over the well, country well then
0: should Rachel Blackmore not be on the list she was the first woman in history to to, to win in, in jail. yeah
1: definitely and, and pff, she's not on the list yeah. I didn't make the list either but um, this list proves out. that democracy the, the doesn't r- work and <laughs> people shouldn't be well, allowed to point, have a vote yeah. the point
3: is Katie Taylor should be at least ahead of Garth Brooks on the list right can we all agree on that so it, it's the fact that could Katie yeah.
0: Taylor sell out five nights in Kroeg Park <laughs> I
3: say she could so Simon so, yeah. are,
0: are you saying <laughs> that
1: you think that uh, Garth Brooks should be ahead of Katie
3: yes but hey, look, Let's twist you know,
0: my, my producer has just said, this is a public vote. This is the, the public. They voted in their droves and this is what they asked for. And it's interesting, the Garth Brooks thing, right? I grew up in Tipperary and I remember the first time Garth Brooks came to Ireland in the mid 90s. And I think I was the only one in the village left who wasn't going up to Croke Park to the concerts. Garth Brooks isn't Irish, but he changed something about Ireland. Surely, didn't he, Ian?
2: No. no. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. blank no. look on your no. face. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I'm a huge American country music fan. It's probably my favourite genre, uh, which is why I despise Garth Brooks <laughs> and all who follow him. Um, <laughs> he performs a debased, denatured version Um as as they in America, they disparagingly call it just hat music. It's just Mm. like these people who wear hats. Um, But, like, so why is is he
0: so popular then? Because
2: sometimes these things just gain a certain amount of traction that Mm. becomes a self fulfilling, it's like a snowball gone down a hill Mm. that just kind of gets bigger. But I remember when I was young, like I'm in the 80s, I think Neil Diamond did a similar amount of gigs in Croke Park, and they just seem to be adding. An extra gig I every time. I don't know
1: of a bit of attraction. To sell L five Nights in Crow. So he is doing something right, but just to be ahead. Yeah, but it just goes so to
3: show. So it just goes to bad show bad how bad many bad people bad in Ireland
1: don't understand music and don't really like music. You have Charles Violence today. He he is going to have
3: women and country music fans outside
1: the door after this. Hazel, um,
0: one of the things on the list, in at number 20, is Fina Gale and Fina Fall entering coalition in 2020. And I think it is significant that this is on the list. And it it goes some way to explaining what Ian mentioned a moment ago, that this isn't necessarily about the best. It's about the greatest, the most significant events. And those two parties entering a coalition it sort of signalled the end of the civil war politics that we had become accustomed to, did it?
3: It does, because if you look at the rhetoric that was being pushed in 1932 uh, in relation to Clonagel and also Fianna, Fianna Fáil at the time and how it was about civil war politics whereas now with the entering of government, it, it's like the the party, I'm sure some people within those parties wouldn't agree, but I saw a tweet for, from one government P- uh, TD recently from a Fianna Fáil TD who, who uh, almost called it one party, saying that the government parties are, are at this percentage and Sinn Féin is, is at a lower percentage. So, obviously, some people within those government parties are seeing it as a merge already as well. So, um, but I, I look at it and I go, well, that signifies the end of civil war politics. And maybe it, when, if Sinn Féin gets into power, that's the end of um, our. our are divided there as well in, in terms of um, what we had before. So, and of course, it, the Greens progress- were
0: in the,
2: with them as well.
3: Yeah, and it, it's progressive. I, I'm just whether the Greens are in, in with them in future is another thing but when right Shin now in,
2: you mean it's the end of our country
3: Oh no in, come on that, that's that's just the usual dog whistle politics saying it's the end of the country it's not Not a, not so, a dog, not a dog it's, whistle it's, it's an explicit statement so there, there are, it'll be a disaster are, There are things that I, I I hope that they can live and up to And so interestingly there's no
0: it, mention of, of Sinn Féin on the list but they will come up in some respects later on in the programme I think um, Before we go to the break I want to have a quick look at number 9 because number 9 is it is pretty high, uh, Terence. How many times in your life, if you can count them, how many times have you seen Riverdance?
1: Zero. Zero. Never seen Riverdance. No, I've never seen Riverdance in my life. Uh,
0: is that a thing? Is are there I'm Irish to people? The here on the are, there, now. are there Irish people who haven't seen yeah, Riverdance?
3: I'm Dance? sure
2: there is. Do you mean seen Riverdance at? the Eurovision or actually gone to
0: gone like gone because it's been touring for oh, 20 God, years no. 25 no. years now Ian you haven't been to it either no. No, absolutely yeah. not <laughs> no I'm being facetious because I think uh, Riverdance is a bit like Gareth Brooks in the sense that it does it's a bit Marmitey like people either absolutely love it or they don't like it at all what yeah, do you reckon definitely, yeah
1: it, it's definitely one of them how many times have you seen Riverdance I've actually seen it twice have you yeah
0: uh, I saw it in the point, and then I saw it in the gaiety Subsequently, because oh. I could just couldn't get enough of that <laughs> delicious tap 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 dancing goodness. Uh, are you a
3: Garth
0: Brooks uh, fan as well? N- n- uh, d- 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 no, I'm not. I just said that I was the only person in the village who didn't oh, go to see him in 96. You were on the verge of becoming the worst person yes. in the world
2: by saying that you liked Riverdance and you liked Garth Brooks. I'm just court- I, would have, I would have flounced out. I'm just courting <laughs> News
0: Talk's country <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Uh,
3: but there was a period there where Euro- Eurovision was really big. So if you had seen, if you were supporting Eurovision or you were one of the many that was watching it, you would have seen Riverdance. I think if you caught a glimpse during when you, uh, you, uh, Riverdance kicked off, most people. Would have, but you wouldn't have. I think a lot of people wouldn't have paid to go see it at some point.
0: Um, Ian, one of the really truly most uh transformative things on the shortlist, I think, was the rural electrification program which began in the 1940s, wasn't it?
2: Completely changed the country, absolutely utterly transformed the country. And here's one of the interesting things given the day that's in it, it's Halloween, I'll go into this in a second, but I remember my wife was from Cross Malina um in mayo lovely town i'm contractually obliged to have to say that <laughs> and it's full of wonderful <laughs> people and most of them don't hate me um but when i went down to crosswind the first time there was a power cut and honestly it was like driving through the balkans in the 50s it was so mm-hmm. dark it was a level of dark. The
0: division between the city and the it was a level
2: it. of dark that you don't get in the city and i'd never really seen it before it was like obsidian black um but the interesting thing and given the day that we have in it is that um before the the rural electrification thing that's where the myth of the banshee comes from in ireland it's the banshee is actually foxes
0: really during
2: mating season right so what you had was people in places like cross malina who would have a turf fire and then they go to bed and the turf uh, fire, the illumination would go down and then they'd hear the foxes, hence the cry of the Banshee. Mm,
0: That makes sense. Um,
2: So it's, you know, so apart from obviously... Dragging the Kulchis into the 20th century, which is always a good idea. I um, thought Garth Brooks did that. You know, <laughs> no, he brought them back. <laughs> you know. um, but I do, I do find that it's if you go back into, and you, you talk to various historians and stuff like that, um, one of the reasons why we have such a rich history of very, very dark mythology... Is because people in rural areas actually didn't have any light.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating the way it feeds into our literature as well. Some texts coming in, keep them coming to 53106 here on News Talk. You're listening to Ireland's greatest moments. Um, Brian in Athlone says Saipan is one of the most shameful things ever to happen in Irish sports. How it's made its way onto your list is baffling. Again, this is about the most significant moments. So, so many problems with the English language. Um, uh, Rachel Blackmore not being on the list is egregious. Her level of achievement in the sport at which Ireland most excels, that's indisputable, is off the scale.
1: Um would you do you think that's fair, Terence? Yeah, I do think that's fair. Yeah, I think Roger Blackmore definitely should be there. And uh, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm actually baffled by the list. I think some of the things on are not scandalous. And God, looks being prime example. <laughs> like, I can't believe that's made the list. And the loads of rights of Blackmore and Kelly Harrington haven't made the well,
0: list. I, I guess it, go, it speaks to the diversity of interests that people have. You know, when we, when we particularly love or are passionate about one thing, you forget that probably a lot of other people aren't. Um, it's just one of those... No, sense.
2: Simon, you're being far too kind. I think basically we can all just accept that this list just finally proves that democracy doesn't work and it's a (laughs) failed experiment you heard it here you heard it here now
0: um, coming in at number five on our countdown of Ireland's greatest moments is the announcement of free education in 1966 it was actually at a dinner of the National Union of Journalists in September of that year that Dunnock O'Malley, then Minister of Education, Mm -hmm. suddenly announced that secondary school would become free from the following year. And he famously said that the fact that 17,000 kids finished their primary education every year and chose not to continue on to second level was a dark stain on our national conscience. Here's a clip of O'Malley being interviewed on radio afterwards.
1: I'm a realist and I had to deal with the crying needs of our young children who thirst for education so much and so many of whom cannot
3: afford it at the present time as things stand.
2: Every year, he said, some 17,000 of our children, when they finish their primary school course, do not receive any further education. This, he said, was a dark stain on the national conscience.
0: And That was John Bowman there speaking on RTE Radio. We actually had a text just come in from Ger saying it's horrific that free education is not on the list. How many of your panel required it to sit there with you? And uh, Ian, let me come to you first because it was, uh, when we think about it now we sort of take it for granted, but when O'Malley brought it in in the mid-60s it was quite a radical move at the time, was it?
2: Well, it was a rogue move because the Cabinet didn't know about it. Um, And actually... I'd pick this, in my list, I'd pick this as, uh, number one, as the most important thing in the history of the state because effectively what we're talking about here is the emancipation of the working class, right? Um, I wouldn't have had a secondary education, my father wouldn't, you know, um, and this, it was just, Donna O'Malley was an absolutely remarkable, remarkable individual. Um, an incredible man who gave probably the greatest gift to this nation's working class that has ever been given and there there should be statues to Dunna on every street corner Um, the amount of bright working class kids who would have been taken out of school at 12 who would have been either apprenticed off or become a messenger boy or doing something um like, we're talking about tens of thousands of people whose lives were immeasurably changed, who in turn immeasurably changed the quality of life in this state. And you look at a political colossus
3: mm.
2: like O'Malley and then you look at the doll today and you just want to weep.
0: Um, uh, oh, poor Hazel is weeping in the corner there. Um, Hazel, tell me, because as Ian mentioned there, it was a rogue move, um Most of his cabinet, maybe even the Taoiseach, uh, Sean Lemass, didn't know that he was going to announce Mm -hmm. uh, free education. But do you think with all the red tape and the bureaucracy that we have nowadays, that this kind of radical politics is allowable anymore or even possible?
3: I don't think it well I, I would like to hope it's possible because uh, as Ian was saying it, it, it's number one on his list for a reason it's massive it's progressive and it's exactly the type of thinking we need across all education right now because like it, it might be free education but if you look at the contributions people have to make for primary or secondary level it's it's not quite free still so and you look at third level and how uh, uh, USI went out on protest because of the fees issue and you look at our PhD. PhDs as well. It's still education with restraints. And if anything, I would hope the current education minister would look to that and go, well, listen, it's time for a bold move again. It's time to make sure we equal the playing field across the board when it comes to education.
0: Yeah, the funny thing is, because uh, I was reading a little bit about Donna Kamali the other day, um, Ian, and he's a paradox in many ways, in the sense that he had a very privileged education himself. Yeah, he went to Clongos. Mm-hmm. He went um, to... A,
2: very, very good rugby player. He was an interpro.
0: inter-pro. The whole family was big into rugby. But I'm just wondering, because he went to uh, an expensive fee-paying private school, and then he introduced... It, it brings to mind the question of we still have a lot of inequality in education today. How do you think he would regard where we are now? I mean, the, the private education se- sector is still pretty significant, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, there will always be inequalities. You know, and I, I think a lot of people don't understand as well is that, you know, teachers get paid by the Department of Education. Um, fee-paying schools. I was lucky. I got a scholarship to a fee-paying school. And here's something that I would desperately hope doesn't happen anymore. Um, at the start of every term, the yearmaster would come in and he would say, "Oh, Doherty, your parents haven't paid their fees this mm. year." And I'd say, "But actually, sir, I'm on a scholarship." And he'd go, "Oh, I forgot that." So basically, making sure that all the other lads knew that basically mm. I was putting you in your place, putting me in my place, and and. and I've born with resentment about that ever since
0: mm. you know, was it,
3: yeah. it,
2: was, it, it was cruel You had a similar experience
0: Hazel?
3: Um, it's funny I when Ian taught, uh, t- talked about the fairness to working else, my, my parents was very much that we were nine people in a three bedroom house and fur house and I ended up going to a, a private secretary school by chance because of the fact that my parents didn't speak any English I translated all the school material and I didn't translate the one really crucial piece which was you had to enroll to the next secondary school level after primary school so we spent the guts of a summer in 1991 going from school to school, looking to, to sign up where we can, and we couldn't. And then we finally uh, went to a private school and my mom ended up, my mom and dad took out a massive loan so I can get through. But I still remember being reminded by the bursary, by by the bursar, by the headmaster of making sure you have your school fees paid. And it was said in front of my classmates as well. And it was that feeling of, you don't belong Seems there. Seems complete. So, yeah, yeah. I
2: think one of the things that isn't front to the memory of Donal is the great oxymoron of the voluntary contribution. Yeah, that parents have to pay. Um, the we got a
0: text in there from Anne. Free secondary education was the start of the leveling off of Ireland's class st- class structure. Pardon me. Another texter says, "Well said, Ian." I submitted free education as my number one to the poll, and like Ian, I think it is a national disgrace that Donagh hasn't been honoured at all. Never mind enough. Is there uh, any statue of Donagh in the country?
2: Not I don't that think I mean. No, he, he got a, he got a full state funeral. Yes. Um, yeah. But they're just from, look, as, as, as a kid from Crumlin who benefited from the moves that Donna O'Malley brought in.
0: Yeah, right, absolutely.
2: Uh, I would love to see statues of him everywhere. Yeah. And I'm sure Hazel probably feels the yeah. same. No, prob- one of the few things we can probably agree on actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> well yeah, let's, let's see about the next one. Um, in Coming in at number four.
0: So let's see what it is on our countdown of Ireland's greatest moments. Let's have a listen
2: to this.
3: Consider the speed and distance that gay rights has traveled in the mostly
2: Catholic Republic of Ireland just 23 years ago homosexuality was illegal there but as Charlie dagger reports today Ireland became the first country in the world to pass a constitutional referendum allowing same-sex marriage
1: This is the moment same-sex supporters in Ireland knew they'd made history
0: the people've spoken you know uh, It's moved on, it's just a different country to what it was a couple of years ago yes it's the marriage equality referendum of 2015 it's hard to believe that it's seven years ago now um hazel and those iconic images of a packed courtyard in front of Dublin castle they really stick with people I think almost 10 years later don't they
3: they do and they should I, I think it's a sign of how progressive we have been in this country we we look at the force we look at marriage referendum we look at repeal these words how progressive all huge- we
0: have been in the more recent decades let's <laughs> yes
3: say. and and but that's what happens to countries. You you have that push. You have that progression. I would love to say this should have happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but we can't. We, we have what we have now, which is it happened in 2015. There was a massive turnout. There was massive support for it. And I'm glad that people were brought along to realising this is something that should have been done a long time ago.
0: Yeah, you, you're talking about progress there, about this being a, a a kind of a powerhouse of the progressive nature of modern Ireland. But I mean, what's what's the stem of that, Ian? I mean, a lot of the things on this list are about the fall away of the power of the Catholic Church and the rise in more secular values.
2: Well, it's something that it wouldn't have happened 20 years ago, I don't think. And... No. I merrily and happily voted for it. Um, I probably shouldn't say I would have voted twice because that would be a crime. (laughs) Um, But I voted for it on the reason that, on the basis that how I base all my political views is that it's none of my business. People have the right to live their life as they see fit. And
0: oh, but let me I, stop you there for a second, because we still live by the 1937 Constitution, and that Constitution says that the family is the government's business.
2: Well, that's, that's very true. And actually, uh, there are a lot of people now who are having a sort of a revisionism, sorry, revisionism about the Constitution. And actually, there are a lot of women who would actually like to basically be able to stay at home, um, who don't want to spend all their money on childcare, um, and you get into this really, sort of—it's almost like a circular foreign squad where you're going to work to pay for childcare, mm-hmm. which just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes cancel to cancel each other, out. It, it, it's it's utterly pointless. But the thing is, with the with the with the gay marriage vote, it was just Ireland came blinking into the sunlight
0: because of you know? that as well the way I think were we the first country to do it by plebiscite by popular yeah. vote. Yeah, there was a feeling of huge collective pride because like i I think that's the reason why we chose that clip there of an american news anchor an american news report is because for that day the whole it seemed like the spotlight of the world was on our small island (laughs) hazel
3: for that day but for the weeks before I, I don't know if you guys remember it but there were lots of conversations and I think it was it was it wasn't just that day that brought so much pride it was the conversations that lead up the campaigns got in some parts nasty but majority was about people being able to come out properly and talk about their experiences parents and relatives and friends be able to share their pride for people and I think that's really important so the, the it, when Ian talks about Ireland being able to kind of blink, uh, open their eyes in the sunshine. I think it was a lead, a build up to that which I'm glad to say it happened but it's something that we need to continue to push when it comes to what I always remember from
2: that day to, to be perfectly honest with you is the fact that Jaws was on that night and was followed by Whitnail and I what a great time to what, be alive I a, treated yes. what a great double bill <laughs> um,
0: uh, Hazel I should say though because uh, it is worth remarking that I remember David Quinn making the point he was obviously very vocal on the no side mm-hmm. in that campaign He made the point that not one single political party campaigned for the no side despite the fact that 30, 35% of the electorate ended up voting no we kind of forget that so I'm just wondering Wondering were those people abandoned by their politicians in that referendum
3: i don 't think they were abandoned. I think uh, politicians perhaps chose opinion uh, chose uh, to express the opposite the opinion because they believed in it so so when David Quinn talks about well politicians abandoning the cause, the thing is. Politicians, a lot of politicians, started at the uh, at the start of the starting line to campaign against it. It wasn't a case of oh, we see the dial moving; we're all going to jump on it now. So it was a lot of groups, a lot of parties that went, "Well, this is the right thing to do. We'll we'll make sure we push but for is it." But is it so not the we'll...
0: job of a politician to represent his or her constituents' well, views? Well, then you
3: got to ask the constituents. Maybe they did. Maybe they don't have their a politician that represents them. Maybe they need to go find that politician or maybe that politician didn't exist that represented those few. No, okay. yeah, yeah. I have to say, I, right, I, mean, yeah.
2: David actually, David Quinn's a good friend of mine, right, and I will stand up for his reputation. Um, he had a perfectly good point about the fact that 35% of the population felt that they had no representation amongst the political classes. Now, I disagree with him on gay marriage I, as I said I was happy to vote for it um, but he does make a good point that in, on any issue when 35% of the electorate don't have representation mm-hmm. you kind of have, have to something wor- strange there something there. Yep. strange there
0: I have to move on to number three because the clock is against us so it is time for um, well uh, have a listen to this <laughs>
2: we've qualified for the World Cup go and compete
0: Ian, Italian 90 was the first World Cup that this country ever reached. What did that mean for us as a country?
2: I have very mixed feelings. Oh, here we go. Here we I, go. I, I actually, I, Lock the I, doors. I have mixed feelings with Italian 90. <laughs> um, I remember the night before Scotland beat Bulgaria in 87 to qualify us for the Euro. For ABH, the Euros, yeah. Uh, I was at the... Uh, we played Israel in a friendly endowment. There were 5,000 people there, right? Um, I was still in school. A friend of mine came along with me. He had to lie to his father because his father wouldn't let him attend soccer because the thought it was full of hooligans. Two years later, come around to Italian 90, his father's organising trips to Italy mm. for all his mates, right? Um, <laughs> Bit of bandwagonism, was it? And and, and without, without wanting to sound like a curmudgeon, Cause I that, that wouldn't be my nature. <laughs> um, for all the, the the joys that Italian ninety brought, it also there were an awful lot of people, an awful lot of working class football fans who thought we've lost our game. We want our game back um, because yeah, I see
0: what you mean. Yeah. It was you know,
2: mm-hmm. and it, now, I mean, and I'm not raining on the parade mm. by any means, right? And we're all devastated when Scalacci, the Sicilian assassin, when he knocked us out, whatever, but. The standard of football was atrocious. Uh, Ireland against England in the opening game was probably one of the worst games of football I've ever seen until we saw Ireland against Egypt. Um, So if you actually... And also, that was was when I stopped going to the pub to watch matches.
0: Mm. Not in general?
2: Not in general. Uh, (laughs) Just just just, Just to watch matches, because it was just full of insufferable... Idiots mm-hmm. who didn't understand anything about the game, who didn't really like the game, but they just wanted the day out and they wanted the crack. And this goes back to what I'm saying about Keane in Saipan and stuff. Yeah. He, he he would feel the same way. Uh,
0: Hazel, um, it, it's interesting <laughs> to be talking, you d- disagree, but well, it is interesting to talk about Italia 90 now because we're about to head into another, yet another World Cup that Ireland isn't participating in. And you can really feel the disconnect can't you this yeah. time you'd hardly even know in the Irish media that there's about to be another World Cup whereas in Italia 90 it, you know, it the whole- all over now I was I was only I think a 7 or 8 at the time but even I was 10 at, 10 at the time. even you were what? <laughs> I
3: was ten at the time. Ten at
0: the time. <laughs> even when Jesus we were so the young. In the yes. room now. <laughs> Sorry,
2: yeah. sorry go on.
0: You, you were in your early forties at that <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, a joke. This pub, is radio. That's a joke. The part where
3: Ian was saying, "Listen, the, the pub was full of people who didn't know about football. Who was just there? They were there to celebrate. They were there with pride for the country that had finally, their country that they were had finally there to made. Get pissed. But, but, no, they, they could go get pissed anywhere else. Ian. the, the point is, my dad was football mad. He, he is football man still and I didn't have as much interest but he dragged me along to, to places and during that period there was a coming together of different communities that I remember that had no interest in football but loved that their country was going to be playing in the World Cup it's a moment of pride and you should just okay, I wish it. I wish we had more time <laughs> to discuss
0: Italia 90 but we are really against the clock uh, we scored two goals and didn't win a game overhyped says Ron so uh, bah humbug Ron there agrees <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) with you uh, Ian now we do have two left We, we have number two and number one left on our countdown of Ireland's greatest moments so let's wind back the clock a little and listen to this news report from April 1998
1: good evening a historic day at Stormont after two years of talks and after a generation of bloodshed and decades of division and acrimony George Mitchell ushers in what the whole island hopes will be a new era of peace an agreement that unites Loyalist and Republican, Unionist and Nationalist leaders in a wide-ranging historical accord.
2: The two Prime Ministers emerged just before six this evening to inaugurate the historic agreement they hope will usher in a new era for the island. There was praise for the Taoiseach and for the parties from Tony Blair who paid tribute to all who had lost their lives in the conflict, suggesting that the nature of today's deal would change relationships in Northern Ireland
3: forever.
0: Ian, um, the Good Friday Agreement, of course, coming in at number two on our list of Ireland's greatest moments, hailed as one of the most significant documents on these islands, uh, the history of these islands. But were there elements of the Good Friday Agreement that were difficult for some people to swallow, that were controversial, that were...
2: Well, the, the, there is the argument that it... But um, I have to, just from starters, I never thought it was going to happen and it blew me away. Mm. Right? When I grew up in the 80s and we were watching people being dragged out of cars and killed up north, right? I mean, it was just a horror show. It was genuinely a horror show. Um, There were arguments that the Good Friday Agreement didn't go far enough in terms of completely demolishing the IRA. You know, Gerry Adams, you know, they haven't gone away, you know, um, and they haven't. And we still, you know, a lot of them just moved from um, terrorism into criminality. But I think in the broader picture, we're not seeing car bombs. We're not seeing Black Friday. Remember that awful day in Belfast? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, we're not seeing people being shot by British soldier, soldiers in the street. Yeah. Um, and there are quibbles, but there will always be quibbles yeah. in any democratic yeah. settlement. Um Because that's the whole point of compromise. It's the bit of give and take. And And that's
0: what the Good Friday Agreement was about. It It was about people willing to compromise. Very disparate parties.
2: Now, I mean, the thing is, and I know people who have major problems with the GFA, right? And you can understand where they're coming from. But the bigger picture is they're not killing each other on the streets anymore.
0: Hazel, um, we had Bertie Ahern on with Kieran on the hard shoulder during the week talking about... This uh, as part of Ireland's greatest moments, uh, the project. Um, I mean, it's his greatest legacy, really, as one of the architects of the Good Friday Agreement. It would make him a prime candidate to be president in the next election, would it?
3: I I wouldn't say it was just him. So I I think saying it was just him is is kind of eliminating lots of other people because we look at this and it's not, it's massive, but it's not a single moment. If you look at the Hugh Adams dialogue at Carnard uh, was part of the foundation of it and focusing on moments of just the agreement itself kind of missed the importance of the journey. And I do think the real victims
2: were the SDLP. I mean, the SDLP should be the main party up the north, not Sinn Féin. And that's as a result of the Good Friday Agreement.
3: Would you agree with that, Hazel? No, I, I don't think so. I think this is this is an ongoing, this is an ongoing issue that we look at the Good Friday ag- Agreement and we go, "Oh, this is the moment that things all get better." But if you look at what um, a colleague of mine, uh, MLA um, Claire Bailey said, it was a political necessity and a political agreement that needed to be done, but doesn't necessarily bring the all the piece that needed so you still have segregation of schools of communities up there so it still hasn't performed what it's meant to do and so to, still, for Bertie yeah. to claim credit and say well he can run on that platform no, well, i to just be think fair it's he's wrong. not
0: he's not claiming credit i was suggesting that as one of the
3: architects of the uh, so Friday he agreement is. <laughs> yes. he is yeah. A, yeah.
2: he is, of course, yeah, he is.
3: But of course he is i don't think he could possibly win the presidency over just that so
0: Okay. Um right. Now the moment has arrived. The big moment has arrived. Um as voted by news talk listeners. Here we go. Ireland's greatest moment is.
1: 408 years after Henry VIII was crowned King of Ireland, era cuts its last link with Britain. President Sean Kelly, the new state's first leader, joins a dense crowd in Dublin's O'Connell Street as the flag of era is hoisted on the GPO building. Here, as the veterans of the 1916 rebellion still recall, was
2: the headquarters of the Sinn Fein Rising. And here, 33 years later to the day, the
3: new era officially becomes an independent republic.
0: Okay, so Ireland becoming a republic on April the 18th, 1949, as voted by our listeners in our poll of Ireland's Greatest Moment, is number one. Ian O'Doherty, why is April the 18th, 1949 not a more famous date, a more celebrated date in our history?
2: I think that is a remarkably good question, (laughs) um, to be honest with you. Um, we you We don't have a July the 4th Kind of thing. We don't have a real. Independence is the most important thing any sovereign nation can have. Now, I would also make arguments that we could have actually stayed in the Commonwealth the way Australia and Canada have. You know, that would have actually, you know, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, little Britain. But
0: Australia and Canada have the Queen as their head. Or, sorry, the King. The King as their head of (laughs) state. Common mistake. What
2: what happened to the Queen? Is she all right? Um, (laughs) But the thing is, independence. is the lifeblood yeah. of every sovereign nation. So why aren't we celebrating
0: it? I, d- d- I don't know. D- d- I
3: agree d- d- with Ian. This is another thing I agree with Ian on. Oh like, God! I, would, I think both I know, of us are afraid. What's going on? Um,
2: I, is there a degree of cultural cringe? The Irish tend to have that. Independence,
3: end of civil war, joining Europe—all of these were consequential and more significant than.
0: But than surely, surely the reason why this isn't celebrated is because so many people felt that. Yes, this was a republic, but an incomplete republic. Well, Is that, that not that, the, that the crux of the matter here. Because,
2: because of the troubles as well, a lot of people didn't want to celebrate it because they were ashamed of the IRA and the, and the name that they brought down the, on, on the Irish. Yeah. Um, so they're the same outcome for two different reasons, if you know what I sure, mean. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I do think it's like, for God's sake, we're not the worst little country in the world. You know and we almost at times feel embarrassed to kind of say that you know that for all the myriad problems that this society faces um, i think
3: we're the best the, little country in the world there's a reason
2: why so many people <laughs> want to emigrate here there's a reason for that we are not the worst no. you know and i do find I, 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 it's a really really good point Simon, that you brought up that why don't we have our own Independence Day? Why don't we celebrate it? Like,
0: surely April the 18th in the secular Ireland that we live in now would be a better national holiday than St. Patrick's Day, um, Hazel. Should we not replace Paddy's Day with April the 18th? Oh, I don't
3: think you can replace it now. I I think saying we replace something that's been a tradition and has historic value. I I wouldn't go there, but I would say that the Catholic
0: Church had tradition and historic value.
3: Yes, but the Catholic Church still says that the Catholic Church. What I'm talking about is the traditions that people hold dear in Ireland. St Patrick's Day being one of them. Why not have it? Why not have an extra day? You can have both. So. Ah,
0: it's only 31 days after Paddy's Day. It wouldn't work. <laughs> well, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, know, I, it if was up to me. I'd
2: ban Paddy's Day. I hate Paddy's Day, <laughs> but still,
0: you know. Um, before we uh, come to the end, um, just to bring back to that point about, you know, if if we were made a republic today, the same kind of republic that we are now, with Sinn Féin poised perhaps to be in government next, um, they wouldn't celebrate this, would they?
2: No. And I hope they wouldn't because I would. And I just always want to be on the opposite side of thing. <laughs> That's all I have to say on that particular issue.
0: Well this makes me wonder, you know. Um that I, I think it's really curious and really interesting that this has been voted number one, but I wonder Are people seeing this as the best moment from our history, or just the most significant moment from our history? What do you think, Hazel? I I think we've becoming a republic.
3: But then, Simon, we've looked at the list and we've said there's lots of things missing, and there's lots of things that should be in different places. So maybe for this, for the sample that was taken in terms of this polling, some people believe that this was the most significant it wouldn't. It may not be the best it's just the most significant it's significant sorry
2: yeah absolutely yeah. I just think it just proves my theory that democracy is a failed experiment <laughs> and we shouldn't <laughs> be giving people we should be yes, giving people can people we put that on your
3: gravestone Ian? we would just like you to listen to him on what the top yes, 10 yes when I are. take
2: over my reign of <laughs> error shall be terrible <laughs> and brutal
0: Ian O'Doherty columnist with the Irish Independent Hazel Chu former Lord Mayor and Green Party Councillor thank you for being on our panel today for Ireland's great Greatest moment. You heard it here. As voted by News Talk listeners, Ireland becoming a republic in 1949 has been voted number one on the list. My thanks to Sean Reedy, producer of today's programme, Stephen on Sound. I'm Simon Tierney. Thank you for listening.
1: Ireland's greatest moment on News Talk.